While you're finding your way to Joshua chapter 9, you know that uh, Joshua is a book all about war, all about battles, it's all about fighting. And to be quite honest with you, had I known the battles that we were going to go through while I'm preaching through these battles in Joshua, before I chose this book, I would not have chosen it. Um, I don't know about your life, but mine has been hellacious the past month. Uh, one battle after another. Uh, you need to know about this because you will be drawn into it. Uh, for some reason or another, uh, I have garnered the attention of a spiritual terrorist who lives in Ayrton, Alabama. I've never met this man, never laid eyes on him. All I know is that he is a hater of the gospel that I preach, so therefore he hates me. Um, all I know about him is that his last name is Tipton and he's a kids camp counselor or something like that. And this is not hearsay because somebody gave me his number last week. So I text him and ask him, was he the man behind all of the attacks to which he happily agreed? and vowed to keep fighting against me until Grace Church terminates me. Now, what he fails to recognize is he thinks I'm gainfully employed here. <laughs> That's right, Jerry. So if, if I were to be fired, I would actually get a raise. But anyway, um, this spiritual terrorist has connected with an insider at Grace Church and he'll write these eloquent theological rebuttals against me, heretical rebuttals against me and send them to folk in Grace Church. And there are folk this week who have received them and if you hadn't received one, it's simply because they don't have your phone number. So don't be surprised at this stuff. Do, do y'all understand the implications that Jesus said the world will hate you? And I'm telling you that the battle is real and people hate us without a cause. And by virtue of the fact that you're associated with me since I'm the upfront guy and the voice of the gospel here at Grace Church, I'm the lightning rod. And you know, I've been talking for the past several weeks about the necessity of being at church every Sunday. Imagine you're not here this Sunday while I'm telling you about this to warn you. And you get one of these text messages this week. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be drawn into it. And you'll be a casualty. So I'm telling you that the battle is on. And here's what I had resolved in my heart to do yesterday morning. Because they get their information against me through our broadcast, through Facebook Live and things like that, I had decided to come in today and tell Matt to cut the feed because I really have no pastoral responsibility to anybody outside of grace. So I had decided that we weren't going to broadcast anymore because that's, that's where they're getting their, their ammunition against me is from broadcast. And before I got here, as a matter of fact, yesterday afternoon, this is just how the Lord works. I was determined that it's best for us not to publish our sermons anymore. And Dane sent me a WhatsApp. He said, Brother, you're probably not going to believe this. Now keep in mind, he's in Brazil, knows nothing. He said, last night the team was sitting with Pastor Duval. You guys remember Duval. He's one of our disciples that we have poured more into than any Quilombola leader in Brazil. He pastors the church in Humo. They are reaching Quilombola villages just like crazy. He said, we were sitting with Duval and he was naturally speaking in Portuguese to me and he began to speak to me about the sermon you preached last week in Joshua chapter 8. And he said, midways of him telling me all of the things that he gleaned through that sermon, it dawned on me. Here's a man who doesn't speak a word of English or understand a word of English. So Dane said, I stopped him and said, wait a minute, Duval, you've got to explain something to me. Because if you listen to Pastor Richie's 
sermon from last week, he preached in English. How did you understand it? And he said, Duval just kind of stopped and looked around and said, Brother, the only thing I can tell you is that God gives me the ability to understand Him when He's preaching. And he said, the entire team, when he translated that, the entire team, their jaws just dropped open. Because that's an Acts chapter 2 miracle of hearing type of thing. You understand that? So, because of that reason, I cannot stop broadcasting. So, I just say to Mr. Tipton and the other spiritual terrorists who are out there, here I stand, take your best shot, bud. Because God is going to take what you intend for evil and turn it around for good. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, But you guys just need to know that the battle is real and not everybody out there loves us. And if you see me walking with two bodyguards on each side at Grace, just know that I'm not protecting myself from my friends. I'm protecting myself from the subtle enemies who are embedded within us. Because we'll have encounters and already have. So we're going to just tighten up, Grace. Because if this gospel is worth anything, it's worth us standing united for. So here we go. Joshua chapter 9 is where we are today. I'm going to pick up in verse number 3 and read through verse number 21. And by the way, check this out. Successively, every week of this month when we have had a battle during the week, we come to church and lo and behold, the text addresses it. Now there's no way I can choreograph that. There's no way I can plan that. That is our gracious God speaking to us through His infallible Word. And today is no different. It's spot on with what I just described. So check this out. Verse 3 of Joshua chapter 9, When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of Yahweh your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, uh, king of Heshbon, and to Og of Bashan, who was at uh, Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants, now then make a covenant with us. This our bread was warm when we took it for provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you, but now behold it's dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins which we filled were new. And behold, they are torn, and these our clothes, our sandals, are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of Yahweh. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Twist a plot, verse 16. It came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within the land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shapira, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. 
The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them. Even let them live so that wrath will not be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. The leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation just as the leaders had spoken to them. Spiritual perception and power. It's what really this chapter is about, or maybe what it's not about. This may be what was lacking in this chapter, is spiritual perception and power. And can I say to you, for somebody to survive in this Christian life, which is no picnic, but is, is, is we have already demonstrated a very real and live battle, if you're going to survive in this, you've got to have both of these. You've got to have spiritual perception, and you've got to have spiritual power. Now, spiritual perception, let's just say it like this, it's kind of a sixth sense that God gives to His people. It's stuff that's not based on any of the five physical senses that we can put our hand or finger on and touch as empirical evidence. But it's a sixth sense that God just gives to us via the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. Now, before I get into the matter here, I thought it was necessary to kind of discuss how it is that spiritual perception is developed. How in the world do you acquire spiritual perception or how do you sharpen your spiritual perception? And the answer is here in this chapter, one of the major reasons uh, that, that perception is gained is through prayer. You want to know how spiritually perceptive you are? Just measure that against your prayer life because spiritual perception is gained through a vital prayer life. As a matter of fact, if you do not have a prayer life, then you are spiritually blind and you're setting yourself up for deception. Look at verse number 14. Here's the crux of it. Here's why they were duped. So the men of Israel... Or no, verse... Uh, uh, yeah, so the men of Israel took some of their provisions. Look at this. They were only living by what they could examine physically. Did you see that? They took some of the physical evidence, and boy, physical evidence can be very, very deceptive. Are you with me? It can. So they had basically reduced their spiritual sensitivity to nothing more than common sense. And boy, I want to tell you, that's a dangerous place for a believer. So here's what they did. They based their decision on common sense, and what did they not do according to verse 14? They did not pray. They did not ask God. Now boy, how many times are we guilty of doing something on a whim and never stopping to ask God about it? How does that normally turn out for you? It's usually not too good, is it? Um, if we could just learn to stop and take a deep breath and ask God, I think we would see it in a little bit different light than what the physical evidence appears. So, number two, spiritual perception, number one, is gained through prayer. But number two, spiritual perception is gained through practice of the truth. Now, if we're accustomed to just being hearers of the Word and not doers of the Word, we are not going to be spiritually perceptive at all. Uh, listen to what the writer of the Hebrews said in verse number 14 of chapter 5. You don't even have to turn there, just listen to it. He said, but solid food is for the mature, who because of, look at this word, practice. You see that? Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You see, what he's talking about here is our spiritual senses. He's talking about spiritual perception. And he says the way we sharpen our spiritual perception is by hearing the word but never doing the word, right? No, that's not what he says. 
He says the way our spiritual perception is sharpened is by hearing it and putting it into practice. So the spiritually sharp believer is one who does what? Well, he prays. That sharpens our spiritual uh, senses. Number two, he's he's somebody who not just hears the Word, but lives the Word consistently on a daily basis. So now that's how spiritual perception is gained. I thought it was necessary to talk about that before we got into the perils of not being spiritually sensitive. So here's what I want you to write down. Spiritual perception power. Above point number one, I want you to write this this sentence because here's the parallel sentence to what I've given you. We need spiritual power to overcome our obvious enemies. Our obvious enemies. Hey, I need spiritual power when a guy tells me, yes, sir, I'm the one behind these attacks and I'm going to continue them until you're done. You know what I need? I need spiritual power to overcome that. He's an obvious enemy of the gospel. So, number one, we need spiritual power to overcome our obvious enemies. But number two, and here's your first point, we need spiritual perception to overcome our subtle enemies. Because can I be honest with you? The guy in Ayrton is the exception to the rule. Most of our enemies are not that bold. They'll just come right out and tell us, hey, I'm after you, and I'll get you. Most of them are subtle. They, they, they work behind the scenes. Well, this guy does too because he refuses. You know, he's, just, he's a sniper. He's shooting from a distance. He won't come out in the open. But our subtle enemies are the ones that you really don't know they're enemies until sometimes it's too late if you're not spiritually perceptive. You ever been in that predicament? Well, notice what transpired as we look at the spiritual perception that Joshua needed and that you and I need if we're going to overcome our subtle enemies. Why in the world do we need spiritual perception? Number one, because their tactic is eerily satanic. It's eerily satanic. Now, notice, I want you to see this and know that I'm not just making it up. Look with me in verse number 4. Underline this word, I'm going to tell you. They also acted craftily. Do you see that word? Underline it because it's not there by coincidence. The writer of Joshua is wanting us to mentally connect this word with the word somewhere else in Scripture. Anybody got an idea where it is? You got it, so y'all are spiritually perceptive. And also maybe because you can read. Did I write it on that paper? Genesis chapter 3, notice what the writer of Genesis says in verse number 1. Now the serpent was more what? Same root word. So there is a connection here between what the Gibeonites were doing and what Satan was doing through the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. I'm telling you, listen, our subtle enemies have a satanic tactic. It's akin to what Satan himself does and will continue to do because that's what they do. They're sneaky. They want to pull one over on you and then laugh after you've been bitten. So notice this crafty tactic because this this, narrative goes at length to show us just how crafty and to support what he's saying about the craftiness of these Gibeonites. Number one, here's the first characteristic of their satanic tactic. Number one, they were crafty with Scripture. And can I tell you that the devil knows our Bible sometimes better than we do? Huh? And here's what he'll do because he knows it. He'll use it against us. If you don't know it better than he does, he's going to use it against you. That's just all there is to it. And here's what's so scary about it. Here these Gibeonites were, knew nothing about Yahweh God, but oh, they did know something about Scripture and they used it against Joshua. Check out what they said. They said it two times in this narrative because they're wanting this to ring in Joshua's ear. Here's what they said. They said, your servants have come from a far country. Uh, They say it up in the first part of this narrative uh, in verse number 6. We have come, you see that, from a far country. 
And then look again in, in, in verse number 9. We are come from a very far country. Now, did you hear the scripture that was read this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 20? Because here's, here, here were the provisions that God gave to Joshua concerning folks who lived, and here's the same verbiage, very far from you. Did you hear that? Very far from you. Those countries and those people who lived outside the borders of Canaan who were considered to be very far from you, here's what God told Joshua. He said, let them live. He said, let them live, just take all their spoil. But let them live. But everybody who lives within your land, you are to completely annihilate them. So here comes the Gibeonites with their satanic tactic and they say to Joshua, we are from a very far country. You lying devils, no you are not. You are just about five miles right up the road. But you see what they did? They used, they twisted the scripture and they used it to their advantage against somebody who let his spiritual guard down. Do you know how long it takes for Satan to take us down? A split second of you letting your spiritual guard down. And he'll put a shot right through the chink in your armor that's sometimes devastating. And it's like the writer's telling on them here. They did this simply because they weren't spiritually perceptive because they had not sought the counsel of the all-wise, all-knowing God. Listen, folk might be able to fool us some of the times, but they can fool Him none of the time. Check out number next. How were they crafty? Well, they were, they were crafty uh, and they had this satanic tactic. We see it because of their cra- they were crafty with Scripture, but we also see that they were crafty in their speech. Now, I want you to see this in verses 9 through 11. Look at this, and can I warn you? Man, you need to hold on before you take anybody at face value. Look at, look at what they said. They said to him, your servants have come from, a, here we go, a very far country because of the fame of Yahweh your Elohim. Now sometimes all it takes is somebody to mention the name God and we think, ooh, they're on our side. And we get the warm and fuzzies. I mean, if you don't believe it, let a heathen country music artist who knows not God just mention God in a country song and by golly, we think he's one of us. When he's not. So here they are using the name of God in an attempt to deceive the people of God. Now look what else. They're not through. They're laying it on even thicker as they go. We have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon of Heshbon, to Og king of Basham, who was at Asherah. Now look, the fact of the matter is we hear somebody putting a little spiritual talk out there sometimes, and we let our spiritual guard completely down. And son, they poured it on thick. And we're so eager to hear the lost world give accolades to our God until just because somebody puts up the muse of a spiritual conversation, we think that they're cut of the same cloth we are. And it's not true. Let me just be honest with you. When I was in seminary, I had some of the best pastoral ministries professors that were alive on the planet at that time. I mean guys who had done this for years and were highly educated, highly experienced, and were spiritually wise. And I'll never forget my pastoral ministry professor telling us, saying, guys, beware of people who are always praising you and complimenting you and telling you all kind of things that you like to hear. He said, beware of the people when you move to a new church who show up first to make a good impression and help you unload your truck. He said, beware of those types of people who are always saying good things like you like to hear. Because here's what he said, people whose lips are always dripping with honey are normally trying to conceal a heart that's full of doo-doo. And you just mark it down. I'm telling you, 
in every pastorate I've ever served, that has been the God-honest truth. If you want to run me away from you and cause me to stand back and look at you and wonder where the knife is hidden on you, just come up and start feeding me a bunch of perfume. Because here's the deal. I'm smart enough to know that nobody likes me that much. (laughs) My wife don't even like me that much. (laughs) It's a rare day I get a compliment from her. So when I start getting them from other folk, I get real nervous. What are you wanting? What are you hiding? And you see, that's exactly what these guys who had this satanic tactic, this crafty tactic, did to Joshua. You know, you've heard me say all along, hey, perfume's good to smell, but don't drink it. Well, guess what? Joshua drank the perfume, and he fell for it. Number next, not only were they crafty with Scripture, they were crafty in their speech, but they were also crafty in what they showed. I mean, notice what they did. Hey, they, took, they went to great lengths to do this, to have this display of physical evidence in order to present to people so they would believe their phony story. Huh? So they put all of this out there. Now, let me just hasten to say that, remember, this is, this is satanic, and this is crafty. Can I say to you, believer, that stuff is not always as it appears on the surface? Matter of fact, rarely is anything what it appears to be on the surface. You see, if we just live by that, then Satan's got us. Because I want to tell you, he he shows you all the best of everything out there, not letting you know how evil it is just underneath the surface. So they put on a show. They gave all of this physical evidence. They they, they looked like they were genuine on the outside. But friend, they were corrupt, lying, deceitful dogs on the inside. Spiritual perception is necessary. Hey, notice what else, how else they were satanically deceptive and crafty. They were also crafty in their silence. In their silence. Because notice what they didn't say. Look in verse number 3. Here's what the writer of the narrative tells us. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. Do you see that? But did you notice they didn't say anything about Jericho and Ai in their report to Joshua? Why do you think they didn't say anything about those two cities? That's right. Because it just happened. And there's no way that word would have had time to spread to a far country. There's no way they would have gotten that word. So if they would have said, and we heard what you did to Ai and Jericho, it would have tipped their hand and Joshua would have said, wait a minute, kill them, they're trying to deceive us. And you see, that's always the way it is with folk who have this satanic tactic. They want to come out and show you everything that will bolster their case but they want to tell you nothing that might mitigate against them. Now let me go ahead and put both feet in my mouth. This week, one of our spiritual enemies had an encounter with somebody in grace. And they went to telling them everything they could come up with bad about me and your elders at grace. You know what they failed to bring up? The fact that since they have left grace, they converted to a false religion. Why would they not put that in the mix? Because all people want to do is put out there what will cover up what's in here. Especially if they're satanically crafty. And if we're not spiritually perceptive, son, they're going to take us down, Grace Church. They will take us down. Hey, let let me go ahead and put my other foot in my mouth. I've been doing this now for about 33 years, and I have never been blindsided in ministry by an enemy within the church whom God didn't first put a red flag in my spirit about him. Did you hear me? 
I've never been blindsided by somebody that God hadn't first put a check in my spirit about them. But here's my problem. My problem is I want to believe good about everybody and no, that can't be true. That just must be the burrito I had for supper. This person looks to be good on the outside. They're blowing smoke up my rear end with everything they say. They've got to love me. And guess what? Every time I ignore that check in my spirit, I end up paying for it dearly. And can I just say to you, those days are over at grace. Because the problems that we have had so far... Every problem we've had, every one of your elders have said in the beginning, I don't know about this. And we went ahead with it anyway because we didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Can I say that a few hurt feelings up front don't even compare to the pain that's going to be caused six months down the road if we don't listen to God? And I will tell you, after the past three or four weeks, I've learned that lesson, Daddy. I've learned it well. And Grace, we've got to start being spiritually perceptive. Are we going to wind up wiped out? Because listen to me, the enemy is after us. They're after us, obviously, and they're after us subtly. So why do we need spiritual perception? Well, number one, because the tactic is eerily satanic that our enemies use. But number two, because truth will eventually surface. It's going to come out. And dear God, what a shame when it comes out three days later and sets off a bomb in the midst of the people of God. And that's what happened. Notice verse number 16. It came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and they were living within their land. Three days if we would have just waited three days, had we just sought the Lord our God, His counsel, none of this would be happening. But they're going to pay a price for it because they weren't spiritually perceptive. Notice, number next, we need spiritual perception to overcome our subtle enemies, but we need spiritual power to avoid serious errors. To avoid serious errors. Errors. And see, you thought I was going to talk about spiritual power just defeating people. <laughs> it's not. Spiritual power is about keeping us from committing an error that will even make us more vulnerable. So here's why we need spiritual power. Number one, there's only, I only had enough room on here to name a couple of these. There are several embedded in this text. But here's why we need spiritual power. We need spiritual power so that we will not be jumping to bad conclusions. I, one of my friends said one time, I think the only exercise that most Baptists get is jumping to conclusions. The reason I told you what I told you up front about this guy is because I guarantee you, most of us get a text like that about Grace Church and about your pastor and about your elders. You're going to jump to conclusions. You're going to jump in bed with the devil himself against us. Simply because that's the nature of the beast. That's what folk do. Folk jump to conclusions. Those people who don't have the spiritual power to resist what it is that the devil's doing. Can't be jumping to premature, premature conclusions. Because there is a dear price to be paid to bad conclusions that are made prematurely. Man, listen, here's what I, here's what I do with y'all. I give you the benefit of the doubt. If I told you what some people have come and told me about some of you, you would be embarrassed, you would be offended, you would be fighting mad. But guess what? I'm not went and said anything to you say, hey, oh, so-and-so told me that you did this. I, I, I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because from my perspective, you are innocent until proven guilty. We can't be jumping to bad conclusions. Just cannot. It's detrimental to us. So we need spiritual power to be able to resist that. Hey, that's what the world does. It's not what we do. Check out reason number two that we need spiritual power to avoid serious errors. Number one, jumping to bad conclusions. And number two, justifying breaking commitments. 
Man, we're masters at justifying breaking our commitments, aren't we? Spiritual commitments is what I'm talking about. Notice what it is that Joshua said. Hey, get this and get this. Notice, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Now, look in verse number 18. The whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, We have sworn to them by Yahweh, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. Here's the principle. You may want to write it down. Disobedience is never the solution to bad circumstances. It's not. So you blew it. Well, guess what? Now you've got to live with the consequences. You can't do two wrongs and expect God to bless the second wrong. Huh? So disobedience is never the solution. But boy, we think that is. We think, oh look, that, that commit. and here was the justification they could have given. Listen, they deceived us into this covenant. So this covenant, this commitment is not valid. So we're going to nullify it and we're fixing to kill every one of y'all. But what did the leaders say? The leader said, oh no, we won't. God's name's involved in this. We use the name of the truth-loving God who is truth Himself to say that we wouldn't kill them and if we go against our word, it's going to reflect on Him more than it does on us. Man, can I say to you that one of my pet peeves is this. If I give you my word that I'm going to do something... I'm going to do it, or either I'm going to die in the process of trying to do it. You know why? Because my word is inherently associated with the truth of the gospel. And if you can't believe me when I tell you that I'm going to meet you uh, at the Waffle House at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, then how can you ever believe me when I stand and tell you that Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and the life? See what I'm saying? Listen to me, church. Our word is valuable. I mean, that's just ethics 101. We can't give somebody our word and then back up on it. It doesn't matter. Hey, here's what the proverb says. The proverb said, Blessed is the man who swears to his own hurt, but yet does not change. Did you, get, did you pick that up? Because that's a lot of Hebrew in there that's kind of outside of our normal way of thinking, but this is what he's saying. He's saying, blessed is the man who makes a bad deal and it comes back to bite him in the britches, but he doesn't change. He sticks to his word, even though it's hurting him. Spiritually weak folk can't do that. Somebody who's spiritually weak, as soon as they sense that something's not right and this deal ain't going the way they think it is, they're going to pop out of it. They just, they'll justify it. Spiritually weak folk will come make a spiritual commitment to a church and the first time something doesn't go their way that they don't like, they're out of here. Spiritually weak folk will stand in the altar before a man of God and take a vow that until death do us part and the first time something goes that's not according to their liking, they're out of there. We live in a throwaway society. And it just kills me that folk are willing to throw me away over nothing significant. Spiritually strong people don't do that. Only spiritual, spiritual weaklings do that kind of stuff. Spiritually blind people who are not perceptive do that kind of stuff. And when you do that kind of stuff, listen to me, you've just added disobedience to disobedience. And you can't expect God to bless you in your bad circumstances if you're done disobeyed again and dishonored His name by violating your own word. God ain't going to honor that. Hey, here's the deal. Oh, Richie's redneck in South Mississippi. We got a way of dealing with spiritual terrorists from Ayrton. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And you don't know how gratifying it would be for me in the flesh to say, hey, Blake, Aubrey, get in my truck. We're going up there and we're going to tango with this guy until one of us can't dance anymore. I'd love that. 
But what would that do for our circumstances? Make them better or worse? Make them worse. So here's what I do. I say, Blake, Aubrey, Cliff, y'all stand around me so I don't do something stupid to dishonor the name of God. I, don't, I, don't, I not only need all my spiritual power, I need all the spiritual power you can bring to this so that we don't do something to cause God to be wrathful with us for our stupidity and making a dumb mistake. You know what I'm saying? Hey, what, how far does somebody have to push you before you want to pop them? But here's what God says. Here's what Jesus taught. Blessed are you when they persecute you, when they revile you, and when they saw all, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake in the gospel, blessed are you, for so persecuted they the prophets before you. So all I can say is thank you for blessing us because God's going to honor as long as I don't go up there and tag you on the end of your nose. <laughs> That's the only thing that would make God not bless us. Not only does He say don't go up there and tag Him on the end of His nose, God says you pray for those who persecute you. So I'm listening to me. That takes spiritual power. Do you hear me? That takes spiritual power. That's what this is about. It's about spiritual perception and power. And I want to tell you, Grace Church is not going to be defeated for lack of either one of those. Now if we lack those, we will be. Check out why it is that we got to have spiritual power to avoid these errors. And one of these errors is justifying breaking spiritual commitments. Because spiritual commitments are sacred according to God's Word. Did you know that? They're sacred. They're sacred. Now how long does it take for the sacredness of something to wear off? Does sacred have a shelf life? Will it expire and, and after a few years we don't have to worry about it because that was made long ago and now today we can break it and there's no problem? Check out this. I want you to see this. 2 Samuel chapter 21. We, we, we got time. I'm running ahead of schedule. 2 Samuel chapter number 21. This is when King David is sitting on the throne. This is the golden era, era of ancient Israel. This is probably, let's see, this is 1000 B.C. Joshua was doing this about 1200 or so B.C. We're talking 200 something years down the road. Now look what 2 Samuel chapter 21 verse number 1 says. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years. Year after year. And David sought the presence of the Lord. He needed spiritual perception to know what was going on here. And notice, and the Lord said, It is for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. You think a spiritual commitment isn't sacred? Certainly, 200 years later, God's going to let them out of this thing, right? And Saul reneged on the commitment that Joshua had made 200 years ago. Do hey, you know how long 200 years ago was? Can you name anybody in your family that was alive 200 years ago? Do you know a great, great, the name of a great-great-great-great-great-grandpa who might have made a commitment for your family? Huh? We don't know. See, that's, that blows our mind. But 200 years later, Saul who had no spiritual power or perception, he went and nullified the contract and the covenant which Joshua made 200 years prior and he killed these pesty Gibeonites in a fit of rage and now God says, you'll pay for it, Israel. All of Israel. Look, it wasn't just Saul. You see that? What is this concept again? Corporate guilt. One does it, you're all going to pay. And now they're in a three-year drought. Hey, look, I ain't had rain in my place in so long. My pond's down about two and a half feet. I'm worried about pasture. I'm ready to plant winter pasture. Ain't no way I can plant it because the weatherman's saying no rain in sight on the radar for the next two or three weeks. We miss rain for a couple of months and we're in serious condition, right? They didn't have a drop of rain for three years. You know why? 
because Saul reneged on a sacred covenant. And sometimes we walk around, around wondering why the obvious blessings of God aren't on us anymore. And it might be because we're not men and women of our word. We have broken covenants. We have thrown spiritual commitments aside based on our own personal preferences just because it was good for us at the moment. And God says, I could really care less what's good for you at the moment. What I'm concerned about is what's good for my name. And you acting like this isn't real good for my name. So number next, why is a sacred why is a spiritual commitment sacred? Uh, or, or why should we not justify breaking our commitments? Well, because they are sacred. But number two, because a spiritual covenant is steadfast. Check out this. I, I want you to see this. Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. Man, I almost decided to preach through the book of Nehemiah before I went to Joshua. Oh God, if I could rewind the clock and go back, we would be in Nehemiah today having a good old time, Margaret. <laughs> but instead, we're in the middle of a battle that coincides with Joshua. Nehemiah in chapter 3, and verse number 7. What does it say in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse number 7? Somebody read it out loud. Read it, Alyssa. You knew it. You shouldn't have looked at me. See, everybody else smart enough not to make eye contact. Everybody else is going. <laughs> Lord, don't look at him. He'll call on you to pray. <laughs> don't look at him. He'll call on you to read. Read it. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute, let me set the stage. They're working on the wall. They're rebuilding the wall. And, and the writer here is telling us who was working on it. So go ahead, Alyssa. Wait a minute, who was he? Who was he? Where, what was it? Where? He was a Gibeonite. He was a Gibeonite. That's as far as you have to read right there. Because, <laughs> because here we go. This guy is a Gibeonite. He's part of this, the descendants of these folk who came and deceived Joshua, and Joshua made a spiritual covenant with them not to kill them. Now, this is not just 200 years after. This is about 5th century B.C. So this is about 700 years later. And here are the Gibeonites. Notice this. The Gibeonites... They were not even part of the chosen people of Israel, huh? They were just engrafted into the vine because of this. And they got to work in the temple. And they were exposed to the truth of Yahweh and probably became converted. But here they are. They are still keeping their end of the bargain 700 years down the road. Good God give us the spirit of the Gibeonites in this regard, right? Hey man... If, if, if we would just still be keeping our end of the covenant a year from now, I would consider that a great victory. If we would be keeping our spiritual covenant ten years from now, that would be tremendous. 700 years later, these folk are still holding up their end of the bargain. Now, do you think God blessed them for that or not? I bet He blessed their socks off. Spiritual perception and power. Isn't it amazing that the people who should have had it, Israel, did not? And the people who should not have had it, did. That's why Jesus, when He was teaching one day, He said, I tell you the truth. The children of this generation are going to sit on the outside of the kingdom of God, while those who come from afar are going to sit down at the table with me. Thank God for that, because you know who came from far? You're right, Mr. Carroll. <laughs> you did. You came from way on out there, huh? But I came farther than you. You came from South Alabama. I came from South Mississippi, so I'm even farther. Hey, we were way off spiritually, huh? 
Anybody in here part of the descendancy of Israel? I think not. You are all a bunch of Gentile heathen dogs. <laughs> but because of the grace of His covenant that He made in Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross, those who were on the outside have been brought near. Who would have ever thunk that God would have included folk in Bonifay, Florida like us in His eternal plan of bringing nations to Himself? That's why we've got to have spiritual perception. That's why we've got to have spiritual power. That's why we've got to stick with the stuff. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, we come to you today on behalf of your people here in Bonifay. God, would you sharpen us? May our senses be trained to discern good from evil. And God, may we be able to see through the subtle attacks of the enemy. And may we have the spiritual power to overcome the obvious attacks of the enemy. So Lord, I pray for the folk who are before me today. God, sharpen them, but also protect them. God, help us be people of our word because we're people of your word. And God, would you use us, not just in Bonifay, but all around this world, not just to the chagrin of our detractors and enemies, but to the pleasure and glory of the one who's worthy of it all forever and ever. And we pray it in his name. Amen and amen. Mm-hmm.